Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. My name's Will Hines. I'm one of the two co-hosts. And here's the other co-host. Kevin Hines is the name of that co-host. I am Will's brother. Yeah, we're two brothers uh, who like comic books, and this is the only podcast in human history where two guys talk about comic books. Um, Not just two guys, two brothers and two kind of comedians. Yeah, we're kind of comedians. That is yeah. the uh, uh, Hollywood reporter. That's what they've dubbed us, the kind of comedians. <laughs> yep. You've probably seen articles about us in the Hollywood mm-hmm. Reporter or Deadline or Variety. Yeah. And whenever we're in there, they refer to us as kind of comedians. We sort of are, are – we've kind of – there used to be comedians and there used to be people who were not comedians. And then we sort of broke the mold. We're trailblazers. Like find a new classification for us. Yeah, we're trailblazers of – kind of doing something yeah that's right anyway i'm sure you've already noticed we're funny-ish and we love comic books that's been true our whole lives mm-hmm. and um this episode we are beginning sort of a new type of episode which is called mutants and mailbag kevin what are we doing that's right so uh these will be we'll just do these whenever we have enough email or feel like it uh, and these will be us covering uh chris claremont's x-men run a, a run of comics that is Probably the other than the original Marvel comics, the most important run in Marvel history mm-hmm. that yeah. we have read very little of. Yeah, that's right. As um, as our super fan Chris Gethard has pointed out, it is a uh, a huge insult that we have paid so much attention to Spider Man and the Fantastic Four and uh, other comics, and just casually mentioned, "Oh yeah, we've never read a lot of X Men." It is yeah. insane. Like, it's yeah. insane. It's like, I love mob movies. Never seen The Godfather, but I just think they're great. Well, if we had just done the original comics, if we had just done FF, Hulk, and Spider-Man, I don't think it's that crazy. Because that's all just, 60s stuff. Yeah. We just love where it started. But it's like, we've now that we've covered other stuff, yeah. the next most important run after those original comics, um, if we Def- didn't jump to, like, Kirby's Thor instead, yeah. like, if we're going to go modern, the next most yeah. obvious choice is Claremont's X-Men run. So what we're talking about, and even casual X-Men fans will know this, but like X-Men started in the 60s, Stanley and mm-hmm. Jack Kirby, and had, I guess, a sort of successful run, but at some point fell off in popular. Not popula- that successful. I think it was one of the least successful. It's like it and Daredevil sort of never okay. uh, found its footing. So like at some point they stopped even making new issues of X-Men and they were just, they were publishing the title only reprinting from the first batch or whatever. And then um, starting with issue 94 or right before issue 94, they released what was called giant size X-Men number one. And they relaunched the title with new characters created by Len Wein and Dave Cockrum. Right. Uh, some characters were, had preexisted. Most of them were new. I don't know whether this was an edict or something Len pitched, or I don't know how, I don't know the history of it. We at don't all. know anything. We don't know anything. It's a miracle. We're reading it. Uh, but the, uh, they put this comic out. Uh, as a way to sort of relaunch the X-Men title. And then it pretty quickly became very popular. And then it became the most popular title at Marvel and sort of like changed how Marvel does comics in a lot of ways, like uh, mutant crossovers, um, like mutant massacre, follow the mutants, those sort of things kind of changed how they covered lines of comics at Marvel uh, the, the way the X-Men went from one title to like a family of titles or something other than Spider-Man, there wasn't really anything like that happening. Yeah. And so 
and just and you know and if the new x-men was which is sort of what they were known to distinguish them from the original run of 60s x-men can we name them all because the lineup sort of shifted a lot but like it was colossus storm wolverine cyclops joined from the original lineup mm-hmm. um nightcrawler did you say that? Night, no nightcrawler uh banshee was in there originally for a little bit yeah for like one, also one issue, Starfire was in there, but then left. Sunfire. Uh, Sunfire. Oh yeah, we should. Oh, we have to do a retraction section also once we get through introducing this. Just sure, all we, the we got lots make. of things going on. Uh, anyway, uh, we're gonna get into the X Men in just a minute. Uh, so we do the retractions first. Yeah. So now, okay. Put aside that we just started talking about the X Men. I need to do because I made a bunch of factual errors in the last episode. I mean, well, I'm, I'm always a little bit off, but I really blew it in the last episode. I mean, I'm so embarrassed. We, I mean, okay, so we're talking about the superior Spider-Man in this season, which we're really loving. Yes. Uh, Kevin has read it before and loved it. It's new to me and I'm really enjoying it. So then we were, t- we kind of got on talking about other podcasts we like, and I just got so much information wrong. Uh, so the, the podcast that we were really liking was the Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah. And for some reason, I don't know why I was calling it the Amazing Spider Chat. I really, Which I didn't even catch. I didn't correct you on it. I didn't say that. Luckily, I feel good about that, but I also didn't call it by the, I didn't call it by any name. Yeah. So like we were raving about it, we and we still rave about it. This is it's a great podcast, very popular. They certainly do not need or require our endorsement, sure. but we, if we're going to endorse them, we just want to get it correct. Mm-hmm. And so we called it by the wrong name. That's to me so hilarious. Hopefully, I if think, you googled "Amazing Spider Chat," you'd find "Amazing Spider Talk." I actually tested that, and you do. Good. But still, I'm dummy. I'm a dummy. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that, the, the the spectacular chatty boys. As yeah, they're, they're really great. Yeah, the spectacular <laughs> the web of boys. Um, I think is what they're known as. No, uh, mm. amazing spider talk. Really great podcast. We also just miss slightly less egregious uh, error. We misremembered a guest from one of their podcasts. Right? Yeah, like, I, I I think I even said when I said uh, I talked about that episode that I thought it was Tom DeFalco, yeah. and they, they definitely interviewed Tom DeFalco, and he's a great guest. But the uh, specific episode I was remembering was a Ron Friends. Uh, older episode where Ron Francis talks about Ditko. Yeah. And um, so I don't know. And, you know, we've made mistakes before. The most famous mistake on this podcast that I've made was saying that Steve Ditko designed the red daredevil costume. <laughs> yes. That was that also completely wrong. Yeah. Uh, he, when, it, when that's, that was done by Wally Wood. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's been a million other mistakes that we've said. Sure. Sure. But every now and then I make a mistake so egregious that I feel compelled to yeah. admit it mm-hmm. on the next episode. And and that's that's one of them. Do we get anything? I mean, they're really wrong? nice. Dan was very nice. I, I said, like, hey, we 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 talk about you in our podcast. And then he posted after it launched. He's like, Well, you called us by the wrong name. And I was like, Oh, all right. That he is was very bad. Nice about it. Uh, uh um, so anyway, that's our correction. Uh I think that might have been it for the major retractions of yeah, last I think that episode. was it. Just that yeah. one real mistake. Okay. This will be a recurring segment where I have to retract something I said in the previous issue. Kevin really knows the stuff. I don't. And uh, sometimes we blow it. Anyway, let's go back to talking about the X-Dudes. So anyway, we're not going to go page by page when we talk about the X-Men. We're just going to sort of talk about in general. Uh, in general. And we've read Giant Size X-Men and then the first four issues of the run, which is what, 94, 95, 96, 97. Yeah. And Giant Size is written by Len Wein and drawn by Dave Cockrum. And then the next two issues are plotted by Len Wein, but are... 
written by Chris Claremont, which I guess means he like scripted it and sort of like fleshed it out or whatever. Yeah. And then, then, then the final two issues we read are just straight up written by Chris Claremont. So he's running the show very early. Yeah. And Cockrum is there for all five of these issues. So he's also probably a huge, I mean, for sure, definitely a huge impact on the book. Yeah. Probably also the plots. I don't know how Marvel style Len works. Um, I don't think Claremont works Marvel style, but I don't know. I don't know anything. We don't know anything, but, um, but uh, this is our first time reading these very seminal Marvel issues. And it started I've read, in 1975. I've read, I've read Giant Size before. That's the only one I've read of these five issues. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I, think I hadn't. Maybe I the, did, the, but I don't, the, I don't the, remember. The launching it. pad of this team for sure has been reprinted enough that I've read it. And very recently, Marvel reprinted it with like different artists. Each artist did like a page, which is like a very fun yeah. thing to do. Uh, so I read that and I read the original version at some point. So I, this sto- that story in and of itself was not new to me, uh, but I have not read any of the issues that followed it for a while. I didn't. I don't think I read and I maybe haven't read another Cockrum issue of X-Men. And did we get the name of the X-Men podcast wrong that we were referring to? We got that one uh, right, I think. I think we called it Explaining the X-Men. I think it's like Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men or something. So that's a great one that they really do know their stuff and they know all the stuff that we don't and we're not saying. But, we were um, very close on their name. We're like 90%. I'm not going to bother retracting yeah. it because we were like 90%. I right. think we nailed Unpacking the Power Pack. We got that name right. Perfect. Um, there you go. So uh, uh, what was your takeaway from these five issues, Will? I mean, I love it. Um, it what was, if you were like, it's bad? Yeah. I mean, so, sometimes things start off slow and they get yeah. good later. And, you know, that's um, there was a lot of FF issues that we didn't really like in, in yeah, the yeah. Jack Kirby run. But I, I like this um, a lot. It's interesting knowing that these characters are going to become such cornerstones of the Marvel yes. Universe. And here they're being presented like, just so fast. Like the main thing that struck me about giant size X-Men is because they're introducing all these characters, they got to run through that exposition. Yeah. Like everybody gets a page or half a page to mm-hmm. be like recruited by professor X and they yeah, just we'll, run through it so quickly. Wolverine and Banshee and maybe Sunfire already existed. Um, so they get a little less nightcrawler gets like a two page spread. Uh, a storm storm gets a little bit like two pages. Colossus, uh, I think basically gets like a page. Um, or, you know, it's about there. I'm not even looking at the comic right now. They, yeah, they're introduced pretty quickly. Wolverine had showed up in a Len Wein written Hulk two-parter, or really a one-parter. He shows up the last page of a, an issue. And then yeah. Issue 181, is that recall? I, I should look that up. Um, these things wrong. No, no, we know it for sure. Wally Wood drew, <laughs> Wally Wood drew it. Um, <laughs> Ditko created all the characters in it. So I was struck by how fast they were introduced, but it was still pretty good. Like, it was... It definitely it reminded me of the 60s Marvel, like, let's get to the fun. You know, yeah. let's let's get to the fighting. Let's get to them using their powers. It wasn't a ton of melodrama. Um, it's like we got a, lo- a lot of parts to introduce. Let's let's show you what they look like, basically. There's a lot of superhero trappings that they sort of just breeze by. Like, they have these costumes and code names that they're sort of forced to use. It's like, why? Like, why does Proudstar have to use the name Proudstar if he doesn't want to? Professor X said so. Okay. Um, they've all been recruited to help these other X-Men. They seem to hate each other, but they all agree to do it. Like Sunfire initially says, no, I won't help. And then catches up with the team and goes, okay, I will help. Yeah. With no explanation. Uh, Wolverine did debut in Hulk 181. I got that right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's like, 
and that's very reminiscent of the old Stan Lee stories where just like the exposition is absolutely reduced to the smallest amount possible. Um, It's exciting though. I mean, the visual design of these characters uh, designed by Dave Cockrum, I assume is awesome. And that is great right away. Like storm looks great. Colossus looks great. Wolverine is not yet in his sort of like coolest look, but he's, he's, he's in the ballpark. Yeah, I would say that the the biggest takeaway is that they look cool and their powers are cool and there are a variety of powers. Sometimes you put new teams together and it feels like, oh, you got like three just kind of brawly types. Yeah. And the powers are such a nice variety. Uh, Storm and uh, uh, Colossus, uh, Colossus's strength and, and silverness and uh, the dark costume of Storm and her like awe-inspiring like and panel covering and- clouds and rain. And you have like Wolverine in his bright yellow costume that really pops and Nightcrawler in his red shirt. And he's teleporting around like all their powers are very different. Yeah. And it, 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 which doesn't necessarily mean they work well together. It just sort of means like, oh, you can kind of anything you need to happen to the story. There's somebody who's going to be able to pull it off. Uh, their personalities, which are going to become much more defined almost immediately once Claremont starts doing it. But we have like the broad strokes of it. Like Kurt is sort of, um, you know, uh kind of like Errol Flynn, you know, he's kind, yeah. he's kind of like a swashbuckler, sort of like um, devil he's, may care, which is ironic because he looks like a little imp, he's, but, he's, the, he's the smiling member of the team. Yes, and then, um, you know, Wolverine is, as, you know, be, becomes even more pronounced, the sort of like cynical mm-hmm. out of the way, tough talking, why don't we just kill this guy? <laughs> right. You could sort of see why they get rid of Sunfire, who I actually think is really cool. And then kill Proudstar uh, in issue uh, uh, 95. Yeah, the second issue, I think. Um, And it's because like all three of Wolverine, Sunfire, and Proudstar are all just sort of grumbly. Angry guys. Solo guys. Like, I don't want to work with you guys. You're holding me back. So it's like you get rid of two of them. (laughs) Yeah. Because Wolverine's filling that role. You only need one of those three. Yeah. And any one of them would have done, but they Wolverine got chosen, and then uh, he's done pretty well for himself. I've never heard of him other than these issues, but I uh, take your word for it that he's had an impact. Uh, here's uh, an interesting thing I noticed. Their powers are different. Some of this I knew. I knew in the original issues, like, Wolverine's claws seem to be implied to be just part of the costume. I know two issues later, they will specify it's part of his hands. But, um, uh, yeah, in giant well, size X-Men. Someone calls, them fake, someone calls them fake claws at some point. And in uh, uh, one of the issues that we've read to, uh, in this five batch, oh, uh, when he when he's fighting the Annie Men, um, oh, and Count Nefarious, uh, and they, they're the, the, they're animals, so they have real claws, right? So the cat's like, I have real claws, not like your fake ones. Oh, interesting. So they're they're like maybe in the costume. They're not coming out of his hands. Like, it's not clear. I mean, they are fake, right? There's something that's been well. His claws are real. The metal is fake. Yeah. There's some there. Uh, that's sort of been retconned away. Also, in the first issue, Daredevil, uh, not Daredevil, Nightcrawler does not teleport in his first scene when he's being chased. He doesn't, he only teleports once, like when he's flying in the air or like fighting like bird creatures. And when he does it, Banshee calls it a parlor trick. And it almost felt to me like, oh, did he really teleport? Yeah. Or was it like a misdirection type thing? A couple issues later, he's for sure teleporting. He teleports through like rock wall and he calls it teleporting, but they don't call it teleporting. They don't refer to it. He rarely uses it in that first issue. And I wonder Mm. if Len Wein did not think he was a teleporter. 
That's interesting. Because he you already know, has like, a, a, he's got this, you know, look of a devil. He's got a tail. He can sort of cling to walls. and He's acrobatic. Hide in shadows. He's a, he's a circus performer, right? Like yeah, that was his. Yeah. So he's already um, got a lot of powers going on. Was was he like, didn't think to give him this without, teleportation? Without teleporting, his powers are sort of like beast where he's kind of just yes. like, just kind of nimble and maybe strong. Yeah. But uh, you need the teleport. Where's my BAMF? I got to have my BAMF. For Teleporting elevates him. So I don't know if that's true, but it certainly feels like that. I'm like reading into that, knowing these characters a little better. I also think Nightcrawler is the coolest one in these five issues we read. I was at least that's I already like Nightcrawler, but reading these five issues, I'm like, ugh. What is it about if Nightcrawler? If I read these like? five issues, his power set, his teleporting, I think is really cool, but he, and his look is really cool. But he's just also he gets more moments. Like Wolverine doesn't get a lot of screen time. Mm-hmm. Cyclops is boring. Uh, he's like too angsty right away. Um, I like that you're saying screen time to kind of go with our Hollywood career as kind of comedians. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You can't stop um, thinking about the silver screen. Colossus is pretty cool uh, just because he's a big bruiser and there's something fun about I mean, that. But he also Colossus, doesn't do that much other than like falling out of a plane. He doesn't get like a big moment. But Nightcrawler has like a teleporting in and fighting that cat creature on his own or the frog creature on his own rather. And uh, just leaping into the fray a few times. Uh, uh, I don't know. He just really stood up to me as like the most fun in these issues. Yeah. Storm was probably a close second just because she's so powerful. Yeah. She's so, I mean, her power outclasses everybody <laughs> kind of intensely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, in these issues, real quick, just for people who, because hopefully you've read these, because we're sort of just talking about them scattershot. The original X Men are captured on Krakoa. Uh, living, uh, turns X out to be a living island. Yeah. And it's also a huge part of the current arc because they live there now. Um, I'm not even going to get in any of that. But a Professor X recruits new X-Men to go save his original X-Men. The original X-Men then all quit. The new X-Men fight Count Nefaria. Who's a, who is an established X-Men villain. Yeah, who looks just like an old... 60s villain with a monocle and a cigarette. Yeah, it looks like he wants to drag the X-Men onto a railroad track is, you know, what it seems Uh, like he's going to do. Who likes his plan is like to shoot nuclear missiles at the world or something. And the Avengers are too busy to handle it. So the X-Men do it. Yeah. Uh, Then like uh, an uh, some sort of monster from another dimension attacks them. Right. And then in the last one, we we read um, Eric the Red, another old X-Men character I've never heard of. Uh, possesses Havoc and po- Polaris, former X-Men, to come atta- and also uh, Hawkeye's brother, Havoc, to come and attack the team. Cyclops' brother. Cyclops, yeah, what did I say? Hawkeye. Hawkeye, yeah. Well, <laughs> Another leader enough. leader of an assembled, uh, of a yeah. Marvel team. Uh, yes, uh, Cyclops' brother. So those are the five issues we covered, and Proudstar dies in the second issue. Right away. Uh, the Native American um, character is uh, uh, killed. Um, what do you see glimmers of that you, what is established here? Like what is working already? So the look of the characters is great. I think mostly the look and the, and the fun power set is all that's, uh, that I find that's been like, okay, this stuff is going to resonate. Cause I feel like the adventures they go on. They're pretty standard uh, fair comic book stuff. Yeah. They don't, they're not great. Like uh, they're fighting like Count Nefaria feels like an old Avengers villain. Yeah, in like a bad way, like an outdated one. And then, like, even though I know the X Men have a lot of outer space adventures with like Star Jammers and stuff like that that I haven't really read, the space and uh, other dimensionally monsters also feel like a little outside their realm. 
that feels like an FF type of battle. Yeah. Uh, so they don't necessarily, this sort of feels like, ah, eh, we'll just do whatever we want. We'll throw whatever at these guys. Let's see what sticks. And so far for me, nothing sticks. Because the me, stuff that sticks the best, like, is fighting the government and fighting sentinels and fighting other mutants, obviously. Yeah. And Magneto even, like, he becomes so much more grounded in the stories that I'm aware of. Like, that character has more meat to him than just, like, I'm going to take over the world. Yeah, yeah. Like, the 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 main emotional thrust of the X-Men is that they're persecuted. They're mutants right. and they're feared and they're hated and they have to, like, wrestle with that and protect and defend people who often fear them mm -hmm. and deal. And then, um, so we don't, that's not really in place yet. Very, uh, there's a little bit of it. Like the, yeah, some cops are sort of suspicious to work with them. And yeah, they're disappointed. It's not the Avengers when the X-Men show up and stuff like that. They also destroy an airport. So maybe there's something to it. <laughs> uh, so, so they blow up like two planes. Um, something's in place, which is like Claremont. Um, as soon as he, starting right in issue 94 and especially in issue 96 uh, when he's doing the full writing duties, we're getting some Claremont uh, wizardry, which is like the opening page. And this came back to me because even though we have not read a ton of Claremont, I did read, I'm going to say three years of Claremont penned X-Men in the eighties, which is toward the end of his run. Maybe um, the so, middle of it. Maybe the middle. Yeah. So, I mean, I've uh, not nothing. We never read any Claremont burn. We never read any early Claremont X-Men, mm -hmm. but um, I'm not a total stranger to Chris Claremont. And I read all the new mutants up to a, a, uh, where Claremont was writing them. So um, the opening pages of a Claremont story are, I, I find them, he tends to start with a sort of monologue musing about something. You know, it's always sort of like, if I was going to like imitate the opening of a Chris Claremont comic, it's something like, talking right to the reader and being like, look, you know, before us, we see a tree. And what is a tree but a guardian who stands watch for a long mm -hmm. time? You know, uh, any adventure means nothing from the perspective of a tree who knows centuries. And yet today, this tree will see something it's never seen, you know, and um, and that begins with the Wolverine or something like that. There's sort of like a kind of a literate sort of monologue kind of scene setting stuff that I really love. Yeah. But like Claremont is more of a writer's writer, I think, than maybe other comic book guys, you know, Stan Lee would be like, sorry to bore you with half a page of credits. Let's get <laughs> yeah. to some action. Right, right, right. But Claremont's going to like kind of set the scene almost like a short story a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and that is, you know, that is the seeds of what is going to be some really good melodrama, you know, like, once we get into like the emotional mutants versus humans stuff, he's really the kind of writer who can uh, describe like the emotions of feeling left out, feeling like a misfit. You know, he's right. got those chops. He's also doing like the thing that he's also sort of known for, which I think was happening more and more in comics, but certainly wasn't uh, in the sixties and early seventies where he'd like very directly seed a plot that he has no intention of doing anything with yet. Like we see like a guy in a military base, a maniacally evil uh, Stephen Lang character that I've never heard of who wants to destroy the X-Men and then like kills a general that's going to stop him. Yeah. And it's, you know, they give it like three pages of a comic. Uh, and then it that's it for this off. issue. Yeah. yeah, it does not pay off. Um, and then like uh, 
like one issue ends a very cool the last issue we read ends with um the x-men being watched by that guy through a monitor yeah and then somebody else watching that guy through a monitor yeah it was like really sort of confusing and intriguing yeah so I, somebody I, is monitoring the guy who's monitoring the x-men yeah I do feel like a thing about X-Men comics in the 80s, and like you say, this becomes sort of standard, is you're jumping between like four ongoing stories at all time. Yeah. And so one is wrapping up, but the other three are still going on. And so you never get a, or you rarely get a sense of like closure. Right. It's more just like a constant stream of tension. It's certainly not a thing that happens much in comics anymore. It it didn't happen in the 60s and it doesn't happen now because now they write very much for like, the trade a lot of times still it's like we want you so to, be able to pick up this collection are- we don't want to do a ton of stuff that like pulls you you know feels like it's unresolved i so, mean it does happen it yeah. just happens a lot less it's a lot more subdued Kirby uh, would- and then also like this is also back when like if someone takes over your comic they're picking up all your plot threads and they're going to continue them and nowadays it's like let's wipe the slate clean and start over yeah and i so, feel like, like kirby and, and kirby and the ff would do a lot of like Maybe not jumping between four threads, but, you know, he would the story would end in the middle of the issue. Sure. It would end and then immediately pull them into the next adventure before you even got out of that one. Yeah. But, but there wasn't like – you didn't see like Galactus starting to come while right. they were dealing with the Inhumans. And then two issues later, Galactus arrives. It's like they get home from the Inhumans in the middle of the issue and Galactus is there. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, That's what I mean. So like this Stephen Lang thing, which has no bearing on the plot at all as far as I can tell. Uh, yes. Uh, another uh, another little seeds an of, of that. A seeds of something to come are, you know, I really love the, not just me, I think the appeal of the X-Men is the team aspect. Like mm-hmm. they, they fight amongst themselves, but when there's a common enemy, they defend each other to the death. So like Wolverine will like criticize Cyclops, but then if somebody threatens Cyclops, Wolverine will like murder that person. Yeah. Like Cyclops he goes... punches Wolverine in this five issues at some point. Yeah. So like the 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 switch between them fighting amongst themselves, but then having a united front against the enemy is some, somehow very satisfying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of keep it in the clubhouse, uh, um, but I'll never let you down on the battlefield. Jimmy, around the of, moment when Cyclops punches uh, Wolverine and knocks him off his feet and Wolverine gets up ready to kill Cyclops, Storm then steps in and goes, don't you do it or I'll kill you. Yeah. And Wolverine stops and it's like, I love that moment. Storm's like, I'm the big I'm, dog here. Yeah, I can get a tornado I, that will rip you apart. Yeah, you might not be scared of Cyclops, but you're scared of me, right? And that, that was a cool moment because it's fun to see Wolverine like, okay. There is a, here's something we're not even qualified to talk about, but like the X-Men at this point in comics history must be the most diverse super team in a mainstream yes. setting. Like uh, Aurora is from Africa. Uh, you have a Native American for two issues. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you have uh, women on the, uh, on the team and there's going to be a lot of romance within mm-hmm. the ranks of the X-Men. You've got a Russian and a German and briefly a uh, uh, Japanese on fire from Japan and an so, Irish banshee. It's not all Americans. It's, not all, it's, all, it's still a fair amount of white guys, but it's not uh, all Americans. But relative to the time, we're moving away from just like white dude super sure. team. But also, uh, like like most Avengers teams up to this point, were just all white American guys uh, for the most part, other than like Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Like yeah. I feel like almost everybody came from the U.S. So X Men is kind of a you know leaps and bounds ahead of where the industry is. I didn't uh, realize Jean Grey wasn't on the team. 
the whole time. Right. She quits and then comes back, right? She, well, she, I mean, I assume she comes back because of the Phoenix storyline, but she quits already, when all the other original X-Men. I got to say, like, I'm loving this so much. I'm like already reading way ahead. And of course, okay. I'm completely confused, but she, she very soon comes back. So she didn't come back in the five issues we read. She leaves uh, with, with, in 94 uh, with all the other original X-Men except for Scott. Yeah. And then like she has a cameo in the one where they all go to the airport. Um, Sort of not really commented on. Like she's just there to, to see Professor X off on a vacation he's taken to uh, a week <laughs> after recruiting a whole new team. Yeah. <laughs> it's like time for me to take a vacation. I, was like, I don't know. You just moved all these people into your mansion. Take a vacation um, when you were in reprints, dude. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you had plenty of time for a vacation. Um, yeah, Jean Grey is back in the mix, back in the mix pretty soon. Um, but they're, they're pretty diverse. And um, I wonder, I wish, uh, I, I wonder what a, a, a black comic book fan would think about how you got Black Panther and now you have Storm. They're and then there's Luke Cage, right? There's and Falcons probably out there by this point. So I just wonder how many black characters there are in Marvel Comics, and two of them are African, right? Like Black Panther yeah. and Storm, which kind of lets you have representation without dealing with racism, unless you want to. Like in Wakanda, there is not racism, right? Sure, yeah. In and Storm is a goddess and a queen of her right um her native country so like she is respected and regarded you know and she's strong and confident and you you can sort of sidestep um yeah american racial issues that would come into play for for you know yeah. um it's uh and the the claremont did write uh heroes for hire luke cage and uh, uh iron fist for a while so which i have not read either so he dealt with like a Harlem superhero. Right, right. That's what's interesting about Luke Cage is like he's in the shit, like in yeah. terms of social issues. And, and Falcon too. Falcon is also a New York yeah. guy and originally didn't have wings. He was just a guy called Falcon who didn't fly. Um, just always mind boggling. Yeah, it's like, why don't we give you some wings? But um, although it's weird to give somebody a nickname and then create a scientific marvel to make that nickname true. And then they're like, it works well for them, right? It's like, what yeah. if he was... Added operating the wings. It's like, ah, we already oh. called you Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just sort of like, I, I think part of what makes the X-Men is exciting is they, they are kind, they just seem younger and cooler immediately. And part of it is that they're, they're more uh, diverse. Um, um, but yeah. I hear what you're saying about like storm being from Africa and what, 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 what does that it's mean? Not, it's, it's not even meant as a criticism. I'm just sort of like yeah. almost admiring it. I'm like, Oh, I guess that like lets you, increase the representation without dealing with a difficult social storyline, at least until you want to. I think it's also just the idea, probably Len had this idea of like, it's a whole big world. There must be superheroes elsewhere. Yeah. So I'm not going to pick anyone from the same country. Yeah. Um, it also gives it sort of a Star Trek feel, right? Yes, exactly. Like the Star Trek bridge was pretty diverse, even though like the main two characters, three characters were three white men. You're calling, uh, you're Kirk, calling a Kirk Vulcan away. I am. Leonard yes. Nimoy is a white yes, man. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but everyone around them, like, kind of was like uh, a, yeah, you had a, a Russian, multicultural uh, uh, bridge. Yeah. So exactly. it, it gave the illusion of, like, oh, this whole crew is pretty diverse. Um. Yeah. I mean, uh, Navigator Uhura, uh, Uhuru, 
Her name means freedom, right? That's the an African word for freedom. I believe you. She wasn't a navigator though, right? She was communications. My bad. Oh yeah. So, um, Sulu and Chekhov were... Chekhov was the helm. Sulu yeah. was navigator. Uh, um, but yeah. But yes. like those... Yeah, and Scotty, uh, outrageous Scottish accent in the... Uh, I think you should have leaned into it more. Um, I, uh, I meant it as a compliment. Don't worry. Uh, so uh, anyway, so X-Men are exciting for that reason. And I mean, Storm is such a compelling character at this point, just because her power set is immense. And mm-hmm. she throws down a couple times where she just like commands the sky. Yeah, she's like, they're fighting in like the tunnels of uh, Cat Nefaria's mountain and she floods it. Yeah. And it's like, whew. I mean, she's... I mean, that is that is some biblical stuff right there. Yeah. Pretty it's almost just like, get out of the way, everyone else. Just send Storm in. <laughs> send Nightcrawler yeah. in to open the door, and then everybody else can just move. Just Our job is to get Storm in there and then, yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. wipe the floor with these guys. Yeah. Um, um, yes, but you're right. Like, her ability to defend, her decision to defend Cyclops is kind of exciting. And, like, also when she's asked to stay, she's not sure yet. She's like, I haven't seen enough. She doesn't immediately just pledge her allegiance to the new right. X-Men. She's like, I'm going to wait and see. You've promised a lot. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but all right, I'll give you a chance. I mean, she was a goddess where she came from. She probably shouldn't stay. <laughs> Seems like she had a better deal going on in Africa, but I don't know. We don't know. Um, we get some hints of it uh, in these five issues. There is a flashback to her as a kid, which uh, I know from current comics, like she used to be a shoplifter not shoplifter, a <laughs> pickpocket. Yeah. Um, so she has like a criminal background uh, in the markets uh, of some area. Uh, so like there's hints of that sort of stuff, which will be interesting to see that kind of get fleshed out. Uh, but any final thoughts before we move on to Mailwell? Just so excited. I'm glad we're doing it. I'm even, uh, we're only giving half an episode every now and then to one of the most seminal runs. I'm glad we're doing at least that because I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so we've read through issue 97. So the next time we'll do the next five. So whatever that is, 98 to 102 something, 102. Um, yeah, I guess there's always a chance that if it's like a big two-parter, we'll discover both or something. We'll, we'll figure it out when we get there. I, I don't, since I don't know what these issues are, it's hard for me to be like, here's what we're going to cover. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows not to count on anything. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so that's, our, take, that's our mutant section. So let's take, take a, a break, break and we'll do mailbag. Yeah. Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, We might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks. In advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. All right, and we are back onto the mailbag section. Kevin, what do we got? Okay, um, we've gotten a lot of mail. Um, it's been really fun. Um, people are excited about our current season, Superior Spider Man. They really enjoyed our guest season that preceded it. So thank you for all the positive mail. Oh, if people want to mail us, yeah, our email is screwitcomics at gmail. You can also tweet at us, screwitcomics, on Twitter. And we have an Instagram account, screwitcomics. And for you hardcore fans, there's also screwitspidey and screwitrecent on Instagram. But um, screwitcomics is your primary handle to get in touch with the milksops. That's us. 
Yeah. So the first email we got is from Micah, whose podcast we were on. Nice. We did his Batman. We we talked about Batman, the the Tim Burton movie. Yeah. With Micah. Uh, the Mike, the Macaw podcast universe or something like that. <laughs> yeah. We never get podcast names right. So, so that's pretty close. Uh, anyway, we, on that podcast, I guess we had told him to read Bat or I don't know if it was on the air or, or before or after we told, we told him to read Batman year one. Okay. As we uh, tell almost everybody. Yeah. He asked what would be the one comic we'd recommend for him to jump into Batman. And I said, Batman year one, if you don't like it, I will pay you back for the money you spent. I don't remember somebody making that pledge though. I would stand by it. Yeah. Uh, he emailed to tell me I do not owe him any money. Nice. Uh, I, I was blown away and felt like those four issues really showcase what the medium of comics can truly do in meeting their full potential. You mentioned they adapted into an animated movie. Uh, I was frankly a bit confused by that. What would be the point of adapting something this perfect into that medium uh, to benefit the story? Or put it another way, what do you what do you two see as the pros and cons of adapting a comic book into a movie? Uh, side note, I absolutely love comic book movies. Half our podcast episodes are about Marvel or DC at this point. Um, so yeah, well, do you want to talk about that? What's the point of it? Uh, well, yeah, the, the pro is that you expose a great story to a bigger audience. Like you can just yeah. win over new fans. That's the main pro. Sometimes there's just fun to be had in animation. You can, the, it's, these are action stories. So like, you know, the one thing comics don't have that movies and TV do is movement. So like you can have some good, just action sequences, I think um, you lose the internal feeling of like captions and dialogue, like, you know, comics are both art and words. So you miss the sort of like, you know, how internal the printed word can be. You lose yeah. that. So in a lot of Frank Miller stuff are these like kind of brooding monologues. And I think that's like hard to capture mm-hmm. in the animated versions of dark Knight in year one that I've seen. But um. So I guess pro is bigger audience. Con is it's you lose the internal feeling. Kevin? Yeah, if it's a great story, um, it's hard to top it, obviously, with the movie version or, or television version. But you can expose a lot more people to it. Sometimes you can add levels to it or just having like a good – if it's a great actor. Like I think Cranston does a great job as Gordon in Batman Year One. Yeah. And it's sure. fun to hear that sort of come to life. Um, sometimes it's also just fun, yeah, like uh, – Seeing the first Spider-Man movie, the Sam Raimi, uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie, it was just fun to see somebody web-slinging in, air quotes, real life. Right. You know, not animated, not in a comic. It's like to see what it would look like. Yeah. Because uh, you can sort of imagine and sort of feel like what it is. And if it's really well animated, you can sort of see it. But at that point, we hadn't really uh, seen it. Like We've had better animations in the video games, I think, do a pretty good job of making it feel real. Yeah. But like that movie, I remember being like excited is like, ah, this is what it's like. Yeah. See Spider-Man swing between buildings. So that's can be really fun. Sometimes it adds levels. I don't think it's hard to do that with something as good as year one. But, you know, Robert Downey Jr. changed Iron Man for the better. Yep, that's right. And um and I think Hugh Jackman changed Wolverine, who's already the most popular character at Marvel. And like he added a la- layer to him. Yeah. The moment he- in the first X-Men movie when um Someone asks him if the claws hurt when they come out of his skin. He goes, every time. Yeah. The way he delivered it and that line, I was like, this makes me like Wolverine more. Yeah. He added a, a softness to him in a way. Like he's yeah. more sympathetic with Hugh Jackman. Uh, he was always more of a tough guy. I mean, there was sympathy to him in the comic version. Sure. But he was harder. And Hugh Jackman gave him sort of a, a softness that did not contradict the brutality. I mean, right. Logan... 
the movie Logan is such an incredible movie. I think it's one of my favorite yes. superhero movies. I've seen it four times. I mean, I just, I just love it. Uh, I've seen it once. Yeah. I have a life. So I've got you know, things going on. Not me. No life. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I don't know like if that's it. an answer to your question. Uh, he also said he jumped into the famous Frank Miller run on Daredevil. And so far I am loving it. It just got to the point where Frank Miller has gone from penciler to penciler slash co-plotter. Oh man. A funny note about that run though. The series is going along and it's getting quite intense. Issue 161 ends with the promise of a classic, a classic confrontation between man and monster as Daredevil faces the Hulk. You dare not miss it. But the next issue, 162, has a familiar friend we all know and love, Steve Ditko, doing the art. And the issue has absolutely no Hulk in it. So they had like a Steve Ditko fill-in issue. Oh, my god! I didn't know about this. I didn't know that either. Uh, uh, the first page explains why. Due to the forces beyond our control, namely the dreaded deadline doom, a regularly scheduled DD epic is postponed until next issue. However, we're proud to present this very special issue. What follows is a very early Spider-Man-esque story with none of the darkness that had been brewing in previous issues where Daredevil, Daredevil helps some scientists with an experiment that is going very wrong, causing Daredevil to have amnesia and gain his sight again. He goes on to box and follows the basic outline of his father, remembers he's Matt Murdock when someone jumps in front of a bullet after he refuses to throw a fight. The issue ends with what we can only assume is Matt Murdock healed from his blindness. Uh, the next issue, it's right back in with the Hulk story and he's blind again. I've never read that issue. It's really cool. I sort of want to see it. I got to uh, read it. It's fun to think of the, the uh, one of our favorite creators uh, doing an issue in the middle of uh, one of those great runs that we love. Yeah. And it, and I'm sure Ditko had read none of it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a fill-in issue. It might have been done months and months earlier for all yeah. he knows. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, we have an email from Benari. Mm-hmm. Um, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Just wanted to tell you the Gethard episode was flawless. No notes. Nice. <laughs> get a we'll lot get, of notes on a lot of our podcasts. We get a lot of notes. Gethard would probably give himself a lot of notes, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, the conversation was lively and warm and funny, and you nailed everything that made the Simonson Thor run so extraordinary. Your collective love of the frog issues was positively infectious, and you didn't skip past Scourge holding the bridge either. Yeah, we went back and covered an issue, a part of an <laughs> issue not in what we were supposed to be covering. I've been on Gethard's... Um, Twitch show, uh, Planet Scum Live, and he's committed to memorizing that page. And every now and then he'll test himself to see how he's got it. Uh, it's very funny. funny. He's He's got it like over 90%, which is impressive. I mean, he's done TV shows. It shouldn't be hard for him to memorize lines if he really just I'll tell him you said that. It. I'll tell him you said that. I'll say, right, Kevin, exactly. Kevin's like, talking trash. What's what's so hard about this? I think he should have, I think he should have, he couldn't have got, he could have gotten it between one show. I'll let him know that you said that. Uh, right. <laughs> I believe in him. Uh, that page of poetry memorializing the executioner's epic death is one of the single greatest comic pages of all times. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty awesome. They sing no songs in hell still gives me chills. I'm almost certain that the way he ends it with, and that answer is enough, is Simonson's clever Shakespearean way of saying enough said. <laughs> well, that's kind of true. Yeah, it's I hadn't thought true. about that. That's funny. Yeah, I don't know if that's deliberate, but that's fun to think about. Uh, 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 Scott Rogers has emailed us before he emails us to ask if you could turn any animal, any superhero into an animal, talking about the Thor frog story. Yeah. Who would the hero be and what animal would they turn into? The funniest would be to take a hero like Batman, some kind of brooding, grim character and turn them into like an insane, like basically pull the frog Thor move, mm -hmm. like Batman into an otter. 
I think like a brooding otter would be kind sure, of sure. That's some fun. other otter keeps trying to hold his hand. He's like, give me away, yeah. get away from me. I'm trying to solve it. I, Thor is a great choice because he's so um, proud. proud. Yeah. And sort of melodramatic just in the way he talks and everything <laughs> to put him into any other animal body is very, very funny. Um, uh, you can go the other way too, like the incredible squirrel girl into the body of like an elephant. <laughs> sure. She wouldn't throw her at all. Probably still. She'd be like, gosh, yeah. look at me, you know? Uh, what about throwing like the Hulk into like um, uh, a butterfly or something? Look at this! Look at this pretty muscular butterfly. That's it's like landing. a furiously angry butterfly. <laughs> butterfly, <laughs> strongest one there is. That oh. butterfly is lifting a like a a barbell. It's <laughs> weird. And like at first unable to do it, but just keeps getting madder and stronger in its <laughs> butterfly body or something like that. That might be fun. Yeah. Uh, Justin Bridge emails us. He emails us a lot. Uh, we had mentioned, I don't remember what episode this is. We were talking about, I think with Gethard as well, the official handbook of the Marvel universe. Yeah. A couple and people remember that something up, with like, uh, uh, cards with like punch holes in it. Yeah. And I was like, I think that's different from the uh, Marvel encyclopedia. So Justin knows all about it. He tells us the whole punch file cards with the Marvel hero information was part of the official handbook of the Marvel universe and are called the official handbook of the Marvel Universe Master Edition, Marvel's third go at it. So it was like the third edition of these. Okay. You could get a corresponding binder. The one the one side had information data about the Marvel characters, first appearance, height, history, powers. And the other side had the character's name and three images of the character called a turnaround. Hmm. Uh, the character was straight on from profile from the back. It felt almost like an artist reference than the previous uh, official handbook, uh, which only had a classic picture of the character and at least one picture of the character in action. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, that's the main thing he wanted to talk about. He sends up other things, which I will respond to in email form. Thank you. Um, yeah, we've got one from just pulling my timer back up. Great. We have one from Joshua, uh, uh, I just finished your interview with Jordan White. We had Jordan White on to talk about the Sinister Six, the return of the Sinister Six, uh, yes. Eric Larson drew. Jordan uh, White, Marvel editor of the X-Books. That's right. It reminded me about how I got back into comics too. Like he and his wife got each other back into comics. My wife was a big part of getting me back into it all. But also, so has your podcast. Ooh. Since I graduated college at the start of the pandemic, I've had a lot of extra time cooped up inside. I did eventually find a job and I listen to music on Spotify while I do my work. But not long after I started, I began exploring podcasts and yours was the first I came across. And still from what I found, my favorite, good choice. Uh, when I got engaged in August, my then fiance and I spent a lot of that secluded time together. And one of the things we really got into when we weren't wedding planning is reading comics, or more specifically, I would read the comics to her. I started reading the Avengers to her, doing different voices for each character, but it didn't really click for the two of us until we switched over to Spider-Man. I showed her the one of the first episodes of your podcast with the chameleon, who I'm a fan of, pockets and all, and eventually read her a comic from my own essentials collection, Amazing Spider-Man 24, uh, uh, to the main villain being in the most recent movie, so it must be a Mysterio issue. She quickly fell in love with Peter, the Peter Betty dynamic. And after each issue, I would go back and re-listen to your podcast episode where you covered these issues. So I want to say thank you for helping me get back into my love for superheroes. You even inspired me to head up a comic shop you mentioned, Cave Comics, because I also happen to live in Connecticut. 
an hour away from Cave Comics, but he took the drive, it sounds like. I looked around for some of the Thor run you and your guests recently covered, but alas, and rightfully so, it had already been purchased. Uh, I'm really enjoying the show, and this interview season is quite unique and uh, enjoyable too. I'd love to hear some of the people you have in... Uh, and, uh, uh, I'd love to hear some of the people you have in mind for the future. I recommend Dan Kvosden and Mark Anocchio from Amazing Spider Talk. Got it. Spider uh, Chat. No, Spider Talk. Is there another comic podcast I've really been enjoying? Keep up the good work. Um, so that's great. And I think I'd mentioned that we were getting a handful of emails about people listening to our podcast with their significant others. And I think it's very fun. So it sounds like he listens to it on his own and then talks about the comic with her, but yes, please don't hurt your marriage by talking too much about comics. Uh, make sure your fiance and wife's interested, but um, if we can actually bring couples together, um, we don't care, but that sounds nice. Yeah. My wife uh, does not read comics and you guys are all right. We're doing okay. Uh, she's going to be inundated because my son is getting more and more into, he's been watching guardians of the galaxy cartoons right now yeah. and reenacting them. Uh, he was sick the other day and he watched rewatched Spider-Verse, uh, which was really fun. He did not remember. He's watched it a thousand times, but I think he didn't remember much of it. It had been a long enough break that he remembered like the, the characters and details, but he was like stunned by it the second time through. Like he caught more of it. He understood more of what was going on. He was affected oh, by it. Uh, when um, the Prowler first shows up, he's a little more scared now because he's a little older and gets to that scary yeah. He also gets that the first Spider-Man dies. I don't think he understood that the first time through. And he was watching it and he goes, Daddy, are you sad? Your favorite character just died. Were you sad? I am a little. It's a sad moment it when Spider-Man dies in that movie. It is sad, yeah. Um, and he gets uh, quiet when uh, uh, the Prowler dies. Yeah. Um, also and sad. so like, there's these sort of moments that really are impacting him more now. That's uh, very fun. But he was sort of surprised by a lot of the stuff. And he couldn't quite understand where these other spider-man come from so i had to explain to him alternate dimensions <laughs> important for a four-year-old to know yeah but yeah if he sees an alternate version of himself walking down the street he'll be ready um we have an email from alan kaplan who is a, a, a new york improviser okay uh i'm loving this season of uh mists uh and then he goes er guests uh, it's got me to read a bunch of comics. That's a reference to our Sandman good, season. Well, good Sandman reference. If you remember Sandman, I don't. Uh, I've never, I never, I've read a bunch of comics I'd never heard of before, as well as some classics of well-loved uh, issues. I enjoyed Black Hammer so much. I'm actually going to buy a physical copy for my dad. Uh, I have been curious about the pronunciation of Rachel Ghoul. I grew up pronouncing it Raz, but the TV Arrowverse calls him Raish. Supposedly, it means head of the demon in Arabic. So I asked my Lebanese friend how head is pronounced in Arabic. It's basically like Raz, but the R is rolled and the Z is an S. So Raz. Hmm. Uh, I do not know that different dialects of Arabic uh, do different things. So I don't think that's, I do know that different dialects of Arabic do different things. So I don't know that's definitive. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting. Yeah. I have no idea, I guess. Yeah. No answer there. Uh, also, whatever it is, I, I'm sure I'll get it wrong. Uh, oh, he has talked about this before. I wanted to give a little update on my read-through of Spider-Man comics from the first issue. I'm at Amazing 181, Spectacular 16, and Marvel Team of 66. It's a lot of team-up. Uh, Harry, Harry's therapist has just been revealed to be the latest Green Goblin, and Flash <laughs> has learned the secret behind his crush from Vietnam's marriage to a villain. Uh uh, like you guys said, Spectacular Spider-Man is not really great right now, but the biggest surprise has come from Marvel Team-Up. Uh, 
The kind of schlocky formulaic series is clearly aimed at trying to get Spider-Man readers to try other lesser-known books, but at this point has gotten new life from the current team, Claremont and Byrne. Oh, nice. They did that little run on team-up. I know you guys have been talking about Claremont a lot, but seriously, this guy's no joke. <laughs> I love <laughs> he and us are sort of like, hey, this guy that is great. Yeah. He's good. Yeah, I know. It's, it sounds so dumb when you praise like a well-known thing. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, you know that uh, I rewatched Midnight Run because uh, of uh, Charles Grodin's passing. R.I.P. Um, De-, De Niro's really good in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Is the thought that went through my mind. I know. I, when I, I watched Silver Linings Playbook whenever that came out. I remember like in the middle of it being, De Niro's good. It's like, yeah. Yeah, De Niro's yeah. good. <laughs> like we, that that is known. Uh, uh, Minute Run is fun because it's he's a comedy and it's a good fit for uh, De Niro. I think some of his later comedies are a little too silly and goofy. Oh, but sure, like, yeah. This is like the perfect fit for him. Anyway, um, it's a, what a fun movie. Yeah, it's great. It's a good this classic movie starring great actors. It's a good movie. <laughs> it's on HBO Max, uh, which is a streaming platform. You know what? Convenient. Marty Brest. He directed Scent of a Woman and. Beverly Hills Cop and Kevin. Beverly, he did the first Beverly Hills Cop? Yeah. Whew. Yeah. And um, he also directed War Games initially and then got fired and replaced with, uh, what's his name? John Badham, who had directed Saturday Night Fever. So John Badham's the director of War Games. I'm saying this because Kevin and I like the movie War Games. Love, but love a, a lot of the great scenes in War Games, like with the hackers, when he goes to visit those two nerdy hackers mm-hmm. and they give him advice. Um. Mr. Potato Head, Mr. Potato Head, you're giving away our best secret, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when he, or like when when Matthew Broderick hacks into the payphone using the sure, yeah. pull tap, those are Marty Brest directed scenes. Like oh, he kind of directed like cool scenes. For, I don't, I don't know why he was fired from that. I want to look but, into that. That's really interesting. Yeah, I love also, War Games. It's so fun. War Games is a is a total winner. I watched it recently. Holds up. I th- yeah, last time I watched it, which is pro- a few years ago now, but like well into modern technology era, I had no. Pro- I was I loved it. Um, terrific opening to a movie. We should just. I'd uh, love to. Let's talk about it sometime, but not now. <laughs> uh, it's also like, um, you know, the Ready Player One. Have you read that book? Uh, yes. Uh, which I don't think is a great book, but like there's it's a, a f- it's a fun book though. It's a fun book for like you and me. Yeah, the, like there is a couple chapters of that book where he just reenacts war games. <laughs> Yes, uh, it is a reference-heavy book, but somehow he does. It is a what, what uh, South Park calls the Remember Berries. Yeah. Our brother Brian refers to that South Park convention. Yeah, Ready Player One is basically just like Remember Berries. Yeah, but but I guess I'm just saying it's like if you don't love War Games, or are those Zork. chapters are those chapters interesting at all? I don't know. How about this heavy Zork references? Sure, and, book, and and Joust is a big plot point. Yeah, <laughs> and the adventure on Atari. Yes, that's right. I mean, it did that, seem uh, tailor-made to our age group weirdly specifically. There's very few things he talks about in that book where I'm not like, oh, loved that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, what was my point? I was reading an email. Anyway, Claremont <laughs> is good. That's right. <laughs> Chris Claremont is good at writing. Uh, the difference in storytelling is substantial and trying to understand and uh, in, in, in trying to understand why I've marked... Um, uh, I've marked it in two ways. On a macro level, the stories are just good sci-fi adventure crime stories. Previously, plot points seemed kind of thrown together, and the endings of stories didn't always feel earned. In the current series, the mysteries are fulfilling. The sci-fi is well thought out. The adventures have stakes. On a micro level, the characters feel more real. 
Uh, sure, there are still some pretty lame jokes in there, but everyone reacts in a way that feels authentic from every character's perspective and the way they express themselves. It's like the difference between beginner improvisers who are trying to act in a way they think a villain or hero would act and more experienced improvisers who act a way a human being who happens to be a villain or a hero would act. Ooh, I like There's that even uh, yeah, uh, let's talk about that real quick before I finish up his email. I think that's a great point. Like good comics feel that way. And these X-Men comics we just covered, like you can already start feeling yes. that like, you know, Colossus is this big metal dude, but like, I don't think of him like that. You think of him as this sort of nice. He's a nice teenager who like yeah. is uh, kind of naive and like has a good heart, but has been through some hard times. So he's ready yeah. to throw down when needs be. There's like a moment where Nightcrawler comments on a girl's legs and Colossus won't do it. Yeah. It just feels like, yeah, those are two different types of people from the, uh, like, what is this? Yeah. The eighties. Mid seventies. Mid seventies. Like that's what would happen. Late seventies. Maybe anyway, uh, it doesn't matter. 75 well, is giant size X-Men. So. Oh, wow. I was just born. You were just born. You are as oh. you are, you have been on the earth as long as the new X-Men. Like me and Nightcrawler and Colossus are like. Three yeah. of a kind. Anyway, it's I, like those mo those moments feel very real to me. Like Colossus being like, no. He's like, I, I don't know. Girls don't dress like this where I'm from. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, he's uncomfortable with the the, the objectifying. I mean, and it's Claremont, like world-class comic book writer. He's got the wordsmithing ability, the plot, the plot uh, management, but also he knows the characters. Probably the and most important thing. And he turns Magneto from a, you know, mustache twirling Count Nefaria type into the character that we see in the movies played by, uh, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, I know no proper nouns. Michael Fassbender, is that his name? Uh, oh, no. yes. Well, I think of the previous one, the uh, Gandalf. Um, Ian McKellen? Ian McKellen, yes. Like that sort of very human, under, like the character you just get, even though he's a villain, like the scene in the second X-Men movie where Ian McKellen sees that Pyro isn't comfortable with the X-Men and he's just like, what's your name? the kid says and he's like no what's your real name and he's sort of like pulling at these threads yeah but in a very human way and it's just like oh this character is so three-dimensional and fully formed yeah and that all started with claremont he's good yeah he's we keep saying he's good and we're gonna keep saying it uh there's even a major character in the marvel team of universe who doesn't appear in the other spider-man stories yet a woman named gene dewolf Oh, wow. She was a police captain in the NYPD. She has a whole backstory with family issues and struggling to win authority as a woman in a man's world. And I know Gene DeWolf, and you know Gene DeWolf, because she becomes a big Peter part Davis of stories. Peter yeah. Davis stories. The Sin Eater run. Very recently, I've been reading uh, the Roger Stern era of Spider-Man that Bill Mantelow did spectacular. Stern was on Amazing. And Gene DeWolf shows up occasionally. And so I just read about her because I was curious what her backstory was. And I was shocked to find out she debuted in Team Up and was just in Team Up for a while. Yeah, because she be, she's such a good character, and she becomes, for a while, a huge part of the Spideyverse. Yeah, and Team Up just feels so disposable. It's crazy to think, like, this important character came from there. Yeah, it, it would... Um, yeah, I can't think of a good metaphor for it. It's like, I don't know, if it's like Fast and the Furious movie, somebody spins out of Fast and the Furious and, like, becomes part of Nomadland. <laughs> um. <laughs> he's a few questions. Uh, Ilan has a few questions for us. Okay. Uh, he talks about Identity Crisis, which is a DC comic series that I do not like. Uh, yeah. The Brad Meltzer written miniseries where Ralph Dibney's wife, Sue, is murdered. Jesus. Um, and I, always... Yeah, I don't like it. If she gets murdered, Ralph, it's sort of, it's the beginning of me not liking the DC universe again. Like I loved the DC universe when that story hit. I You could just see the, t if you have like a graph of the 
books I was collecting from DC, they start dropping real fast after that. Yeah. Uh, not because of that story specifically, but that story happened to happen where the that change and shift at DC about the kind of stories they yeah. wanted to tell. It, it broke my heart in a way. Anyway, um, before he wrote that series, uh, Brad Meltzer had written one small arc in comic books, but other than that, he was a best-selling novelist. If you could get any author you know and love to write a comic book series, who would it be and what kind of story? Easy. Uh, Jonathan Lethem. The, He's written uh, a comic book. Oh, which one? Shade uh, the Changing Man? He wrote Omega the Unknown, which I have not read, but go okay. on. Okay, then I got to read it. I'm a hypocrite because he'd be my pick. After that would uh, be Philip K. Dick. Yeah, I was going to say someone like Philip K. Dick would be very interesting. Uh, Brandon, Brandon Sanderson is a novelist I wrote, and he has plotted a, a, a comic called White Sand that I didn't really love, but he also did one recently called The Dark One, and I'm going to get it for sure at some point. Yeah. Uh, I'm very interested in it. He does big fantasy epics. Um, and I'm so just curious. Uh, watching him sort of learn this new art form is very fun and interesting. Uh, I bet Michael Crichton would have written a great comic. Uh, he seems like that's like his kind of yeah jam, right? Like just sort of awesome ideas. Mm -hmm. um, also, I think it, like uh, um, Douglas Adams. Oh, sure. Gosh, just his dialogue would be so good. And I bet he would have fun with the visual sides of things as well. Um, here's a really weird pick. Uh, Lydia Davis who is a short story writer and she's kind of famous for like really micro short stories, like mm -hmm. a paragraph or like two paragraphs and they're kind of absurdist and surreal. And, um, but her like, just like wordsmithing or whatever is like really intriguing. Like she's the kind of writer who could write two sentences and your head cocks because you can tell already that like something is off. Uh, I wonder what she would be like to sort of, I'm trying to think of somebody who's very, impactful with not a lot of words mm -hmm. what, what they might do with like a four page comic or an eight page comic um you know i'm not i'm not thinking of her for plot but just for like kind of um i don't know economy of words that, that sure yeah kind of an interesting one uh i i always tend to go for like guys who are dialogue guys like uh which is why i jumped to douglas adams uh, elmore and elmore leonard Elmore Leonard would also be a good one. Uh, Fletch was written by who wrote Fletch? Um, uh, oh. uh, oh, I'm looking it up real quick because it's stupid. I don't know. It's who's the other F character he did that's in the Fletch universe? Flynn. <laughs> um, Why can't uh, Gregory McDonald? Like his okay. dialogue is so good to be fun. But I was just thinking, this is somebody who has written a comic. This is N.K. Jemison. She wrote like the what is it? Uh, I got this up. Um, her big book is the fifth season. Oh, we're getting uh, which a lot. I've of, not read. We're getting a lot of facts right right now. This is not like us. I got a Wikipedia page open. Uh, she's doing a comic called Far Sector, which is a Green Lantern comic. It's like a twelve issue maxi series. It's great. Oh. I'm loving it. I have not read her books, and I should. Um, but Far Sector is a really really fun comic. So she had never written a comic before that, as far as I know, and mm -hmm. she hit a home run. Uh, what are we at time wise? Uh, let's do one last one and wrap it up there. Oh, maybe gotcha. let's just finish this. Does he have another question here? Uh, yeah, well, let's just read the end of Elon's and we'll end there. Um, a lot of villains become so popular, they get turned into heroes. That's okay. true, right? Like Punisher sort of becomes a hero. Venom has become a hero. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a drag, like, cause I think good villains are so Ma important. Magneto has a heroic side to him. He became sometimes. a hero for a while. Um, he ran the X-Men, right? For years. Yeah. 
Um, that's the real, that's the real era of the X-Men, not this burn Cockrum stuff. <laughs> um, it doesn't go the other way very often. Uh, at least not for a long period of time. If you could turn a DC Marvel hero permanently into a villain, who would it be? Who would be the most fun, the most surprising or the worst? Who would their nemesis be? We don't have to answer all that, but anyone jump out at you as someone who'd make a great well, this, villain. This does have, I mean, in the Spider-Man video game, the police chief becomes a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, that is based on a character in the comic where that happens to Tobney or whatever. Yeah. Um, God, I forget what she becomes. She in the course of the video games, she's getting more and more disgusted by the villains getting away with stuff, and she's right. starting to like break the rules to exact vengeance. Yeah, she becomes uh, like a vigilante, right? Yeah, yeah. Still, still good in intention, but willing yeah. to to commit crimes. The one that jumps to my mind, if you do it permanently, and they started to do this a little bit but uh, for an arc, but I think it, it sort of ended abruptly, is Tony Stark. Oh, interesting. Like, you know, he sort of is like the Lex Luthor type, right? He's rich, corporate America, he's the 1%, yeah. unlimited resources. He'd be a yeah. terrifying villain. He's a genius. If he went evil, I think that'd be very interesting, and he'd be a very difficult villain for the heroes to truly deal with. Um, just in terms of emotional broken, like Batman is somebody who seems like he could easily tip into psychosis. The Joker agrees with you. Um, you know, like he's just as emotionally damaged person. Mm-hmm. Uh, also the 1%. We're really anti-capitalist here on this podcast, it seems, all of a sudden. I mean, I think those are the interesting ones to make villains where like they're tougher to write now probably. Like Batman would become like a rich Rorschach is what I just wanted to say. Like. Uh, you I mean you often talk about like people talk about like Elon Musk and he's like, well, he's doing all this space stuff. Why doesn't he use his money to like feed people? Yeah. Like if he just took half his fortune and just put it into like helping the poor, that would do more good than anything else he could do. And like, you think about that with uh, Iron Man or Batman too. It's like if they just stopped being superheroes and just spent all their money, that would probably do more. Uh, right, right. Um, it wouldn't be as thrilling a comic. Uh. Yeah, that's true. Who'd be the most terrifying hero to... Oh, Superman would be the most terrifying hero to... Sure, yeah, people. like Injustice sort of does that a little bit. Uh, or a smaller or, scale, uh, Miracle Man. A smaller scale one would be like um, Human Torch or something. Or Storm. I mean, Storm would be a devastating villain. Oh, just my to gosh. Touch, to touch on something we've just read. But Human Torch would be an interesting one. If he went totally evil, you'd have the heartbreak of the FF, like losing like their brother, uh, a yeah. brother-in-law, and best friend to villainy. Um, and like he and he's got, so powerful, yeah, he's so powerful. Uh, he'd be on his own, which would be interesting. Like they and like he has so many connections and friendships. It'd be tough to ever truly hate this guy. You'd always want to bring him back. Well, who and who would be the most heartbreaking hero to see go evil? Um, I mean that might be up there. Uh, I mean Spider Man would be personally heartbreaking. Right? Spider Man would be the most heart for America. Like yeah. if Spider Man became evil, I think that would damage America's psyche. Um. Uh, 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 he also listened to you on Sebastian's podcast. Well, yeah. Uh, and you talked about Armando Diaz. Do 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 do. Uh, Kevin, your teacher also. And he wrote it. He wrote a sketch about Spider Man for an Armando Diaz class. He's like, you really connected a circle of people <laughs> he knew. That's all he's saying. Um, thank you for that e- email. A lot of great stuff in there. Um, we've still got a bunch of emails. Well, so we're gonna have to do another mutants and mailbags episode soon. 
Okay. Well, well, we'll be back at this feature soon then, but thanks to everyone who emailed us and thanks to uh, Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum for being uh, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Claremont. I think you made the right choice doing comic books. <laughs> um, he listens, right? Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll have him on someday, I hope. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll be back next be week with more Superior Spider-Man. We're covering the first three issues of Superior Spider-Man. We're going to go in depth on issue one. All right. See you then, everybody. Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. Just about comics. Hi, I'm Michelle Veray. And I'm Kimberly Trung, and we are the host of Crush Fictionally, a podcast all about your favorite fictional characters from movies, TV shows, and more. Each episode, we pick a theme, curate a list of characters that we love, why we love them, and some fun facts about the people who created them. So if you've ever felt a true connection with a fictional character, tune in to Crush Fictionally on Campfire Media or wherever you find your podcast. Campfire.